Hey there, Daniel from Bandits Keep Calling In. Uh, just catching up again, as always on podcasts. Uh, I jumped forward to your so October stuff so I could call in about it. I love that you're breaking down the uh, the little tenets of, of OSR. Very cool. Uh, I agree with you, of course, on most, if not all. I like how you uh, talk about the protagonist. I thought that was really an interesting way to frame it. I kind of, I look at the heroic, not heroes or heroic, not superheroes, uh, a little differently, I guess, and actually differently than when I first read it. You know, I think a lot of people say, look at that and go heroic, not superheroes. Well, that's because characters die left and right. But I think that characters should be heroes, just not ridiculously powerful heroes, generally speaking. So the idea of an OSR character dying so much is just not my deal anymore. And I think if we actually do look at the older games and we play them, as I talk about all the time, by the actual rules and not the way OSR modules are set up where, you know, you do get piles of treasure and magic swords and scrolls and rings and stuff pretty easily if you actually use the charts and roll. I think those that are lucky enough to get to third level-ish are pretty darn powerful. I know I'm running a fourth level party now and well, they just went to fifth in OD&D and these guys are, yeah. Their heroes, their heroes are right. I mean, yeah, I guess they're heroes. <laughs> they're definitely heroes as far as powers. But like many of the other things you said, that doesn't mean the world is shaping around them and that they don't run from things. They have been running. In fact, they just ran from a dragon. Well, they created an illusion of trees over top to hide from a dragon, more likely. And again, that was a fourth, fifth level party that might have been able to take the dragon. But being smart, why take on a dragon when it's not sitting on top of its hoard? Oh yeah, there's a bunch of different ways where you could take the uh, heroic versus superheroic. There's the uh, protagonist kind of narrative thing that I talked about. There's the power level, which you're absolutely right. If you're looking at the actual charts, yep, that's very clean. Yeah, we're, uh, I was power washing the car earlier and the boys wanted to try it out. So I unplugged the power part. And so now they're using it as a glorified hose. Judah, please get the tip off. the. Don't, don't touch the ground with the tip. Thank you. But yeah, there's a there's the power level, there's the magic items, and there's actually stories about uh, losing those kind of magic items. You think about how many disenchanters, how many traps will destroy a sword, how many um, monsters will eat your gear. That suddenly falls into place when the stuff is so common in the mythic underworld. It makes a lot more sense, at least, and your players, well, my, my, old, my old home group would be conditioned uh, to try to hold on to stuff. Like, you almost have to force them to drink potions because they don't find them as often as they should. But then if you follow the, Micah, no, no, don't roll it away. If you actually follow the rule, if you, the, the tables, then it works out, uh, it works out in their favor. And, um, hey, that's one way you can, uh, are you thirsty, Micah? Now we're drinking from the power washer. But one of the other things you were saying got really into my brain just now, tricking the dragon, avoiding the dragon because he's not on a pile of gold. That actually feels like a classic hero. Think about Odysseus. Odysseus 
tricks his way out of things. He doesn't necessarily fight his way out of things. He, that's his heroic quality. He thinks his way through. He's a mighty warrior. He has the bow that only he can string, but he, that's not his claim to fame. And the entire point of his odyssey is to show off creative player skill, uh, so to speak. Homeric player skill. <laughs> Title of the episode, Homeric player skill. And then you contrast that to your comic book types, so the superhero tropes that exist in, it's less comics now, but more in the films that are based on the IPs. So they're saving the world. So you look at these uh, movie superheroes where you're fighting these galactic threats and trying to take over. And of course you have the occasional uh, twist shakeup, but generally speaking, they follow an altruistic arc. They're there to save the world. They're there to do good things. And they don't have that same kind of uh, self-motivation, I guess. So again, to harken back to Homer, you have Achilles. He's absolutely a hero, but he's also a total jerk. It's a totally self-absorbed. Uh, he because of his uh, moodiness causes loss of multiple loss of life and lots of uh, but anyway i'll have to elaborate on this later we have another eight month old visitor yeah and now we know why it's so hard to record episodes thank you for the call in giving me something else to think about in terms of what constitutes a hero versus what constitutes a superhero classic versus modern I think one of the most important things to remember in these old style games, or at least the way that I run them, is that everything is not as curated as some of the modern games. So when they speak of the dragon, when they saw the dragon fly overhead in, in my fifth edition game, I guarantee that a lot of people, you know, if it was a, a level appropriate, would have fought the dragon. It's funny, you just talked about a dragon as well. But they were, they literally said what I just said. They were like, we're going to hide. We're not going to fight a dragon out here and get no treasure because, you know, they realize. If you want to fight that dragon, go back to its lair, steal its treasure, sneak up on it, get advantage. And I think that is where the player skill and all the other stuff comes into play. So thanks for what you're doing here, cranking my way through the rest of your uh, episodes, and I'll call back in a little bit. Thank you for calling in. I hope the episodes find your fancy, and I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Yo, Taylor, just got finished listening to your uh, third episode of OSR October, which is about superheroes versus heroes which i really like that you talked about how you were framing it more as heroes versus protagonists as opposed to superheroes versus superheroes because that definition that you threw out there in the beginning hey, thank you kind of silly right <laughs> i well, mean most, most superheroes are mortal like look at spider-man right he was just an ordinary guy who becomes a superhero um, superhero doesn't mean you're immortal or can't be killed. Yep, ten it four. just means you do awesome stuff. Yeah, it would kill the story and if you were And because these immortal. old games explicitly talk about being super heroic, I, yeah, I, I like your definition better. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, though, that the way you describe it sounds exactly like the games I run. It's because you're running you an know? encyclopedia, like, remember? Focus on the group and on the characters, but if the characters die... The world continues. The world doesn't stop. So I don't, don't know how to tell you. You're old school. Yeah, now. I guess I don't see the difference there between what folks would call new school gaming and old school gaming. At least got OSR the way in your blood. Me and my friends play. Uh, I was running uh, Curse of the. No, I was running Carrion Crown, which is this undead themed adventure path from Paizo. We were on the first book, and it's super deadly. And the party TPK'd at least twice. 
<laughs> and then multiple characters died individually. But was Jason in that kept one? going with different people. You just pick it up and you know the story carries on. The world carries on. Carry so, on, crap. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I think that's a I think that's a feature of gaming in general, man. Anyway, dude, awesome stuff. Can't wait for the next one. Keep it up, and I'll talk to you soon. Peace out. Yep, absolutely. Awesome to hear your voice, and I uh, certainly hope that I can get back on the on the horse, so to speak. I've been bad about listening to podcasts. I've been bad about calling into them, but hopefully back on the horse. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me. Thank you for taking the time to call in, and I will get back into returning the favor. Stay blessed, brother. Uh, hi, Taylor. I'm calling in from the Claw Claw Wren podcast. Uh, I just uh, discovered yours and started listening to it. I'm jumping around, so I'm, I got quite a bit of backlog. So I apologize if I'm commenting on an old episode of yours, but uh, the uh, healing potions, I agree. I do not like healing potions, and uh, nor do I like how healing is handled in general. Um, I'm not uh, super into the OSR um, as far as background, uh, like you and Daniel are, but, uh, more and more, I'm starting to think that, uh, the changes I'm making to uh, third edition, which is what I was introduced to originally are bringing me closer to it. And, uh, discovering that early clerics didn't have access to healing magic at level one, I thought was really interesting. Welcome to the mail room, the ring mail room. Get it? <laughs> I'm working on denonyms. I got to work that one out. But yeah, glad glad to hear you. I remember, I think I heard you call in on the Nerds Variety Cast, and I looked you up, so I've got you on my radar. Thank you for calling in. I'm excited that uh, you found me, and I'm excited that that episode spoke to you. The, uh, the I Hate Health Potions, that is one of my longstanding biggest episodes, so I'm more than happy to talk about that any old day of the week. Uh, so I got cut off uh, with my uh, message about the healing potions. Uh, the clerics starting out not uh, having any access to spells, uh, I think that's that's a step in a direction I want to go. I, I like more, I guess, low magic settings. I, I like there to be magic, but I don't want it to be just permeating the entire culture of whatever setting I'm running. And it got me thinking, um, having a wizard or magic user type class that's more like the old cleric where they have a set of special abilities and knowledges that they just kind of know and can do before they ever get any actual spellcasting or, or supernatural ability. I really like that. So uh, liking your podcast so far, and uh, thanks. Absolutely. And the other, the other big lesson from 3E versus TSR era, the pre presence of healing at first level indicates what the purpose of the game is intended to be from the designer. We have to drive back to our house? Oh, we're at the zoo. Okay, we have to drive back to our house. But anyway, the important part is that if you have the click, I am buckled in. If you have healing available to you at first level, it implies that 
you're going to need to heal at first level, which is something that's not necessarily true in old school editions. Because you, at first, second, and even third level, you can easily get one shot. And now my wife is coming out, so I probably got to make this short. But anyway, the important part, if you don't have access to healing, it underscores the resource management aspects. Hit points are a resource to be managed, a measure of risk that you're willing to take, compared to in WotC editions where combat is a key focal point of the game. So, good, good thoughts. Thank you for calling in. Further thinking about clerics, clerics represent a sort of uniquely D&D &D kind of thing. It's a genre element of D&D &D that doesn't have its place in a lot of fiction. So you look at the classic appendix in, in Conan you have the evil priests, but they operate more along the lines of a wizard. They don't go around healing stuff. Uh, similarly, you have uh, stuff like the Dying Earth, which I'm working my way through right now and enjoying very much. There, the the whole concept of the cleric just isn't isn't in the fiction. So where does that come from? Well, a combination of Hammer Horror and medieval history and gamist necessity to combat vampires and recuperate more rapidly at higher level. So. Yeah, clerics in and of themselves operate as a reinforcement of the D&D &D genre more so than anything else. So very, very interesting topic and should probably bring a cleric or should probably bring somebody on one of these days to kind of dive into it with me. Sort of a follow-up. Uh, again, thanks for calling in. Hey Taylor, this is James Shields. I do business as J.E. Shields uh, in the tabletop game industry. Um, I used to have a podcast, um, A Grazing Mace. I hope to eventually get back to that. But uh, I wanted to say thank you for doing your podcast and being faithful to it. Um, it's been getting me through some of my, my work days. Um, I've got a lot of, um, of your episodes to uh, get through and... Um, slowly but surely, I've got lots of feedback, and I know that you've kind of moved on from some of those conversations, but um, I, I'm hoping to, um, uh, hoping you don't mind me um, bringing some of them back up, and it's okay if you never even uh, share my, my, bit, my, my uh, two cents worth on them. So, Thank you for calling in, James. I recognize your uh, moniker, and it's very fun to associate a voice with a username. So Now, I will admit, I was expecting you to be French, uh, potentially playing a French fighting man, uh, Je Shields. But now, now that you mentioned that it's uh, an initial, that makes more sense. <laughs> All kidding aside, uh, James is an author and illustrator. Uh, his illustrations is actually how I recognized the name as it came in. I'll provide a link to some of his work there. And from here, I would like to turn that thank you right on back to you. Thank you for listening. Uh, it's exciting for me that you found the back catalog. I'm glad I was able to keep you company through some of those work days, and hopefully I'll be able to keep you company on a couple more going forward. Uh, from uh, Additionally, I'd like to... Uh, don't you worry about all those call-ins, because uh, Jason over at Nerds Variety Cast told me that he needs to spend more of his limited time on Earth listening to my monotone yeah. drolling. So I'm going to go through each and every single one. Wouldn't have made an episode if I didn't like the topic. So I'll be more than happy to discuss. Thank you for calling in. 
This next part I'm going to slightly tease you a little bit and I hope that's okay. Nope, totally unacceptable. But there's just something I cannot unhear. Whenever you talk about clerics, or when you say clerics wear ring mail, so many times I hear you say clerics. But it seems like you go back and forth. Maybe it's just my, my ears. I don't know, but could you clarify that? Do you pronounce it clerics sometimes versus clerics? Just, uh, just curious on, on that front. <laughs> uh, does anybody else hear that? I think I aim to pronounce it clerics, as in, you know, clear waters or Marie St. Clear. But um, I may bounce back and forth. I tend to alter an accent based on the people I'm around. So podcasting out of Mississippi, I would sound distinctly different than podcasting out from, uh, from home here in North Florida. So to answer his question, callers, what do you hear? Do I oscillate? I don't really listen to myself when I talk. <laughs> so hopefully that can clear things up. On the subject of clerics, I would say that I'm like you and that I have a, an affinity for them. They hit a special nerve for me. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't play them all the time, but I, I still like them. Um, but I would like to kind of push back upon, uh, on an idea that I've heard several times on your podcast that if there was a, um, a God like the Christian God, uh, whether fantasy or real, in a fantasy setting, then clerics would be unstoppable. Um, that, uh, or, or why would they even go into dungeons and go after gold and, and, and beat up monsters and all this? And I would propose uh, two things. Um, first is that, well, maybe they're in there for the very reason for the goal to be able to help those um, uh, and give to the poor and, and help communities and get rid of the quote-unquote evil that might be there for the greater good. Regarding the unstoppable cleric, I agree with you that does fit the form. However, I would like to think about the story of Daniel. The story, the book of Daniel begins, and this is this is Christian God. This is Jewish God. You know, we have we have a uh, a shared first edition there. But the the story of Daniel begins that the the, the Lord found disfavor with Israel and had caused the nation of Babylon to fall upon them, and. I remember this explicitly because uh, we had a pastor a while back who had who read that and said, "Okay, let's dwell on that for a minute." And then, of course, Daniel was taken with others, and then they have the the lion's den and his uh, dream thing and all all that fun stuff. But the key message there is that while something happening was bad for the people of God, God's purpose was served ultimately. So we having the benefit of hindsight, reading about it, what had happened. We have this vision of the bigger picture, but the people in the place at the time, all they knew is that they were getting smashed and that the, the, the temple was being looted. Um, similarly, look at the story of Samson. Samson gets killed. Spoiler alert, he dies. Um, and he is, without question, one of the heroes. He's a name-level paladin, probably, I'd say, is a good way to, good way to think of him. And, um, but he dies. Uh, and the perspective that we have 
as people to compare our our real world experiences to the fantasy world experiences are going to parallel the experience the perspective that our characters have so the cleric would not necessarily be unstoppable their miracles may fail them they may lose ground they may have the nation of good overrun by the nation of evil but that doesn't mean that God lost. That doesn't mean that God is not supreme. So it's possible to have a Christian-style God and lose uh, because it's not about the battle, per se. It's about the war. And you have to consider the depth of perspective that the divine has by comparison to the finite perspective that we as humans or our characters in the campaign have. Regarding altruism, intentional altruism, and so the uh, the cleric coming up with an express purpose to destroy evil and to uh, bring wealth to the underprivileged. That's, that's how I play them. That's how I assume they're supposed to run. <laughs> so that, that's absolutely the case. And so you look back at some of the source material, we look at three hearts and three lions. Um, the chaos the denizens of chaos are unable hi micah i love you i love you too sweetheart the denizens of chaos unlike you know okay enjoy going inside the denizens of chaos uh unlike you know real life where they can just come and interrupt your podcast but uh the denizens of chaos cannot enter into the dominion of man because law is supreme and in three hearts three lions a little bit of a spoiler it is Christianity. And in The Broken Sword, uh, another Paul Anderson that I highly recommend, it is Christianity that blocks out chaos. It is Christianity that blocks out the, uh, not really evil per se, because law and chaos is not the same as good and evil, but the, you, get, you get the idea. I'm going off on a tangent. Um, so by disposing of chaotic elements, you allow the law to permeate and once the law permeates, the ground becomes hostile to them and they cannot enter. Um, so that makes perfect sense to me. And to talk about the financial aspect of it, I don't think the original rules actually have rules for tithing. I know 1E has rules for training, which you could totally, in the sense of a cleric, use that, or in the sense of a paladin, use that. Well, paladins have that with the poverty thing going. It doesn't matter. Anyway, the uh, you could use that training cost as a justification for, okay, this is, this is money that's going into the ecclesiastical organization. But um, what I've been playing with, and because I'm more of a, as of late, I'm more of a sword and sorcery type. And I like the pre-Christian kind of gods, the ones where you... Uh, for, for the purposes of gaming, of course, just uh, to clarify in case any of the moms from 1980 or however were, are listening. the uh, I like you to earn something. It's almost like you are buying favor. And so what I'm... This is in one of my multi, multitude of uh, untyped and unpublished notebooks that I should just take a picture of and throw up on the blog and everyone would tell me how genius I am in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh oh, Judah, is that dirty? I just gotta get the other kid to go in now. But any, do you need to wash your hands, baby? But yeah, anyway, the uh, so you want to wash your hands outside? You do. I will be right back. In my home brew system, 
based off of the original edition. The I'm replacing the cleric. I'm replacing the cleric with a concept called pact magic. So you do certain things, you pay certain things, and you earn favor. And this is measured in a point-for-point -point system, which you then spend to invoke miracles, which is your divine spellcasting. The compatibility issue is pretty easy because... Please don't step in that, sweetie. Where did Micah go? Let's go find Micah. The compatibility is pretty easy because you say you're a cleric, but you don't have anything because you're, you're, you can't heal yet because you haven't earned it. And you have an... Uh, you have an a measurable looking for another child I, I the washing hands backfired now both of them are outside again um, but anyway the you the idea is that you earn your favor and you spend your favor and if you run out of favor your deity stops doing stuff for you and i'm still honing it i'm still working out the kinks and by working out the kinks i mean i'm chasing my children and wishing i was working out the kinks but we'll get there one day we'll, We'll let, we'll let everybody know when uh, I put the playtest version out. Well, maybe a blog entry. The second thing is I think that we've kind of forgotten the ultimate purpose of clerics. Heal botting and then looking the other way. Um, clerics, um, yes, give to, the, uh, give to the poor, help them out and, and help the unfortunate. Um, but the cleric is supposed to be listening to the will of his deity and do what his deity says to do and and that actually brings up a, a, a mechanic that i want to hopefully remember but um the the cleric's ultimate purpose is for the spiritual well-being of those that are in his charge so it may very well be that um, he is there for the spiritual betterment of perhaps a morally questionable party um, uh, to be able to affect even greater good than what is in this life. Now, we'll caveat this conversation that a, a game master should not be trying to uh, force a real-world um, deity upon the uh, player's uh, experience, um, that they should... Uh, approach that with, with, with reverence, but rather uh, their job should be an arbiter of the, of the world and the events in the, in the players, player characters' lives, and then allow the players to role play their character in response to the events. Um, rather, and, and so I understand um, people's hesitance to say, no, I don't want to touch that because I think it is, you do have to be careful with the sacred. Um, and that's going to lead me to my, uh, one of my next thoughts on clerics. I don't like when clerics have to test their faith um, in order to get their God to do what they want them to do. Um, that's almost more of a genie-in-the-bottle approach to faith and any particular deity. And if, if I checked the records correctly, um, there, there's very few um, that are uh, at the beck and call of, of, of their followers. And, and uh, that's not to, to diminish prayer. Uh, certainly we are to, to, to pray. Um, 
that God would do certain things, but rather I would prefer to see a cleric test his spirit. And spirit might not be the best terminology, um, but rather the kind of the idea of the cleric testing whether or not they are personally in tune with the spirit of their deity. Uh, you know, am I hearing the will of God correctly that um, I can go forth without fear of of uh, um, of being damaged in this battle? And they kind of reflecting a, a you know a bonus to the AC or or, or things like that. And and that's a, that's just a, a small example, but um, I would just rather it kind of worded that way as opposed to the 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 often. Uh, portrayed method of can you get your God to do what you want them to do? Yes. Now, to cover my butt uh, from earlier when I talked about the uh, patron magic, uh, kind of a pact magic earlier, the intention there is to be a bargain with with whatever supernatural entity. So you you make a you strike a deal, so to speak, almost. So. That's more warlocky, I think. Now that I'm now that I'm talking about it, but anyway. So the mor the moral story is, the patron pact magic that I was talking about earlier is not intended to simulate, and this is not aimed at you, James. This is aimed at the general listener. Is not aimed to simulate the uh, medieval Christian type uh, archetype. But I can hear where you're coming from. So there may be. Hmm. That's actually. I'm I'm kind of curious how that could be implemented without damaging agency. And what do I mean by that? Well, you look at, say, Jonah. Jonah has the gift of prophecy, and he's told, you go here, you do this, and then he doesn't do that, and he gets eaten by a fish. Um, spoilers. So yeah, this is... Uh, uh, J Jason, I know uh, you're, I'm spoiling a lot right now, but it's, it's the, the, the book is 5,000 years old in some places, so I'm assuming you've read it. So hopefully, hopefully I'm not spoiling it for anybody. Or you could consider Elijah, who, in demonstrating the power of God, has said, okay, we're not going to light this sacrifice on fire. You guys exhort your God. I will exhort mine. But just to handicap me, let's put a whole bunch of water on mine and see if it'll burn despite being inundated. And then, of course, God, according to the text, blasts the, uh, blasts the thing and burns it. So that, I think, is going to be the origin of one of the spells in the original game, uh, or the first edition, or the TSR Gaxian edition of the game. But the uh, moral of that story is more that God told him to do this. That was part of the divine plan. So uh, there's a little bit of an implicit railroad in in that experience. So, which is you know, real real life is a little different than game life, but. I would be curious uh, as to see how that could be implemented successfully without, uh, without uh, I guess, that might be fun. It's like, hey, you guys get to this point and do this thing, and then a contingency will happen, sort of like a, almost like a quest hook coming from the cleric. Um, and that's one of the advantages of having clerics in the party, if I remember the episode correctly. So, hey, doubling back, uh, I will be curious to hear what you do, how you implement, and how it turns out.
And that wraps up another episode of the Clerics-Wear Ringmail podcast, an independently operated product released for educational and informative purposes under the You Can Totally Steal This license. As always, sound effects are from Mixkit.co, used under the Mixkit royalty-free license. Segments recorded in a vehicle are recorded using a Bluetooth hands-free device. And Clerics-Wear Ringmail assumes no liability in the consumption or distribution of the podcast. By listening... All parties agree. Any parties with questions can reach out on the Clerics-Ware Ringmail blog. And parties who are dissatisfied can go suck an egg. Thank you for listening, everybody, and delve on. They're fighting huge things, and they're, they can't avoid the conflict. What do you need, Micah? You got some water in your boots? Those are not boots. Those are shoes. You are very dirty, Micah. Maybe you need to take a shower. No, Judah needs to power wash me. Oh, Judah needs to power wash you? Yeah. Okay, that will work, too. Only power wash his legs.